Welcome back, guys. We're on uh, Habits of Normal Success. This is episode 11. We've been, uh, we've had a radio silence for a while for the summer break, and we have Petty Melville with us today. Thanks for joining, Petty. Hello, Francesca. Hello, everyone. Um, Petty and I met quite some time ago at PSI, when I was working at PSI. Um, I think it was around 2015 that you came in and uh, worked for a couple, like maybe yeah. six months, three months, yeah. something like that. Um, and then recently, because I saw that Paddy was doing his own thing and you have your own business, I thought that it was a really interesting sort of conversation to have around what prompted you to start your own business, especially among so many people today who might want to do that, but you know are a bit scared of doing it or don't know where to start. So I thought just there, as in just starting the conversation with what is your business about and, for instance, what, what gave you the inspiration to start it? So... Um like a lot of people in the marketing industry, especially advertising, you tend to fall into it. Um, the, the good thing about the British system, I think, is that when you're at university, you don't study necessarily what you're going to become. There are the vocational things, but there are other things. For example, I studied art subjects. Mm -hmm. I studied cosmology. I studied Sanskrit. I studied uh, religious. I, did, I went on shamanic journeys. Um, this was all within the curriculum. Yeah. And so when I left, I was like, what am I going to do? Mm -hmm. And uh, I spoke to a company called Postscope, mm -hmm. and they said to me, do you want to travel around South America? I said, yes. Why not? Do you speak Spanish? Yes. Do you want your own credit card? Brilliant. So that was my perfect job from, from the age of 23. And I traveled, and I developed my my career after that in the industry and as a, as from, from a specialist in outdoor media, which was what the PSI was, Periscope. Then we're more mainstream, working agencies, working strategy and planning and multi-markets. How was easy was that, sort of, sorry to interrupt, that transfer from specialist outdoor to more broad, uh, broader planning, mm -hmm. media role, was it easy for you to sort of change mm -hmm. jobs or did it take a while to get out of the specialist? There are soft skills which, luckily I was taught at PSI, Postscope was an independent company at that time, so it was really fun to do it and to learn how to, you know, a lot of transferable skills you can do. Mm -hmm. So I took the approach, the classic marketing approach, understand the problem and hopefully you can provide a solution. Yeah. Uh, so it wasn't too bad, as well I was riding this digital wave, which we still are riding massively. And a lot of companies want to invest in, in, in talent to try and get educate them and learn with them what's going on. Uh, and then I, I mean, I really loved it. I mean, I went into now is WaveMaker, but at the time it was called BJ Kennedy. Mm -hmm. And I then went into Havas, London, mm -hmm. MPG then. And then um, I went from London, also went to Paris. And the great thing about this industry is that it's moving so quickly and everyone's so open to, to, to talent, as I say, it's not like a law firm where you look up and you think, right, in 25 years I might be a partner. I'm lucky. Again, pros and cons, this is one of the pros of the industry. Mm. And uh, I was able to, you know, to ask if I could move to Paris. I went to Paris with my wife and then I had a son out there. And then um, we came back, I worked for UBS. And that was all within the kind of agency model. Yeah. And what year are we talking? For we're talking about 2013. 2013. When I was, and I decided to leave Starcom Media Vest, where, mm -hmm. where I was a business director on 
and I, I wanted to try something new. I think, again, that was kind of the career I had in terms of um, the, the studies I did and the approach I took. I wanted to try something different. And I saw the fact that you didn't have to work at an agency to do strategy. You could work at Google, you can work on the other supply side. And I saw the flexibility and the fun you can have with new startups. Mm -hmm. So I started my own business and I still run it now. Obviously lived the journey where, with all the classic um, ups and downs. Ups and downs. Um, so you know, when you get business, it's great. But then when it finishes, you, you look around, you think, well, where am I going to get the news? Oh, that's me. I've got to get it. Yeah. I'm new business. I'm delivery. I'm account. I'm news campaign. I'm so all these things. In terms of the stereotype of, uh, you know, when it's your own thing, you never switch off. I've heard this so many times and obviously I don't have the experience of having my own business but did you find it with stores and was it easy for you to, especially maybe in moments where mm. you had to be on the lookout for new leads and new mm. business were you still able to say no today I take for myself and for my family for instance mm. or was it sort of a bit of a challenge switching off because of the fact that it's your own thing good question I think that I I, I was quite good at managing that but what I wasn't good at was sense checking myself and just really checking am I was I okay? Mm. Because it's a sort of very it's quite an unconscious route your brain takes, your mind takes, your spirit takes when like you're running your own business and you think you're calm and all that, but you're not because it's really stressed and it's trying to release its stress. Mm. So sort of around like yeah, last year Beginning of last year, I thought I was okay. I think I'm generally manageable, but mm -hmm. I could have done more to say spend more time. In terms of workload, for instance. Yeah, workload. No, and well, if anything, it's not well workload, but I'd say the trying to get workload. Mm -hmm. Why not get people get these leads? Which proposal? There's always one more you can do. One more email you can send. And I think it's trying to control that. Okay, you're not going to do everything today. Mm. And have anything you don't want to do when you're tired, because that's when you know, check. Like anything, like when you're playing a game. I love Sudoku, and I always give myself a break. Mm. And I come back, and it's so obvious what the next um, number should be. But when you're kind of stressed, or when you think you can't, but you are stressed, you don't notice those things. Yeah. So it's taking a step. You need to naturally. We all have, don't we, in this, in work, in yeah. life. Um, but I was enjoying my life, you know, I was in, I had a, had a lovely family, three kids, my wife, who I met at university, so. Was she studying the same things that she was studying? different, no, she studied proper subjects like yeah. politics. She's more down to her, more pragmatic. <laughs> well, yeah. So yeah, that's, that's a kind of career I had, I loved it, mm -hmm. and again, different people, so people industry, yeah. marketing. What would you say, I mean, your business specific as in what is it about? So I understand obviously it's trying to answer problems mm -hmm. with a marketing strategy. Is there a specific sort of uh, forte that you have in your business that you go out and pitch when you have these new business conversations or do you try to sort of fine tune your approach depending on who you're talking to specifically? I mean, obviously mm -hmm. that's a yes, but um, is there one specific thing that you're like, this is my thing and that's where I do best? In terms of service and product, I 
One of the challenges is that there's not one thing, unless, unless you're a tech expert or build your own tech you know, platform to share, it's, you don't have a unique mm-hmm. product. You, it's about you. Yeah. Uh, so you try and build your work through contacts and through not cold calling as such. Yeah, so you become your USB basically. I become the USB. At the same time I could hire people and try and establish a company. But I was happy to be a consultant to help other companies do that and not rely on managing. You know, you try and find out what you want to do. I love the hands-on stuff. I love actually doing the work like strategy and implementation um, and delivery. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily the one who sits above everyone else or manages, you know, tough job as well. So I wanted to focus on what I did and that's with people. And I sort of even even more recently I've realized realized what I'm good at, what I love doing. Um, talking, communicating, helping, being being a sort of a supporter, not necessarily a doer in the business. Yes, yeah. that's what that's what people have in business. Like last year I was involved in a startup. Mm-hmm. So the two examples, so startup called Luxia, fantastic idea, which was to sell advertising uh, in hotels and travel, mm-hmm. so travel media, so it could be when you log in to a hotel Wi-Fi, then you get a, you know, you have to um, apply for your login page, you need yeah. to give your room number, and then you got a welcome message. Mm-hmm. It's a bit of common sense, so with Luxia we're doing this in the Hilton, um, all the Apple hotels, that's a real good scale. But it folded last year. Um, you know, people have emerged into other things. It was right idea, just wrong time, I think, or just wrong opportunity. Mm-hmm. So, but I, my role was to sell. My role was quite varied. I really enjoyed mm-hmm. it. But in the end, it wasn't my business. Yeah. Uh, and there's another company I've been involved with, a startup, right at the beginning, uh, finally raised 100 million mm-hmm. um, a couple of months ago. And I was there from the very beginning to do the research. So it was brilliant to do that. And I, so my approach is to have a very, yeah. um, but what I help companies do is marketing and research, understand the problem, mm-hmm. and you can help give a solution, see if your solution is relevant. How has that changed? I mean, we're going to touch upon that yeah. too, uh, about the talks that you're giving now, also yeah. the Eventbrite. Uh, yes, yes. You me. Um, how is, sort of, how is that, how does that fit into your, sort of your marketing business? How did you sort of make the move from, let's say, more marketing research to yeah. maybe maybe using a bit more of what you started and yeah. what you were passionate about, sort of finding that element again that you studied back then? Yeah. How was that? Uh, how did that move uh, occur? Um, it's interesting how things are all connected. Mm-hmm. So this was ex- exaggerated and this was a catalyst was last year when I was... Um, had a bike accident, I hit my shoulder. This was July, mm-hmm. end of July. I was cycling in Victoria, I'd done every day. And um, I was at the front of the red light, so went green, I went first. No cars pushing me, no cars, no bicycles overtaking me. No potholes in the road, but I came off. and hit my, hit my, hurt my shoulder on the floor, my left shoulder grazed my head, which was actually through a helmet, so mm-hmm. my helmet was on. And I went to A&E for my shoulder, because it had actually been pushed out of joint, but luckily they didn't have to operate. 
and I just had a rib physio, and yeah. you can see it's still a bit not straight, but at the moment it's good. Um, but I had these headaches, and then three weeks later, these headaches hadn't gone away, and they were quite mild, but then I woke up one morning, and that, on a Sunday morning, and it was really bad. Yeah. So I went to hospital, I thought I might as well, because you know, they'll, they'll see me, it's Sunday morning, everyone's in bed. Yeah. And luckily they did, because had it been another day, they might not have. And they did, they did a scan, and then they told me that I had a, um, a brain tumour. Mm -hmm. It's got a glioblastoma, it's uh, grade uh, stage 4, which means it's very aggressive, uh, malignant. And uh, so then my, you're going down one route in my life, doing really well, happy, 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 and then suddenly this happens. And you have to take another route yeah. or deviate. Uh, you don't know how long for, you don't know where to, but obviously the, the immediate um, priority was to find out what to do. Yeah. And luckily, through talking to people, through my friends, through my family, yeah, it's given me support but also contacts and I was able to find an amazing surgeon who was able to best in Europe and he was able to operate. Mm -hmm. He took out most of the tumour, the bad, the, the aggressive, super mm -hmm. aggressive stuff, and he had to leave some there in there. And then I had radiotherapy and other treatments and chemotherapy pills, mm -hmm. which I'm on still. Uh, so that's being my, my prognosis and then all my treatments. So obviously I had to look after myself and, yeah. and focus on my family. Uh, but then in the mean, between my oncologist meetings, which was in London, I was like, well, what am I going to do? How am I feeling? And after, you know, after a few months, I was able to, you know, I was, able, I was still very mobile. Mm -hmm. I could play tennis. I love tennis. So I sort of continued my passions and had mm -hmm. a bit of actually holiday time. Yeah. Uh, and then I was like, what am I going to do? And very slowly, and those little tiny steps, and steps that I hadn't planned, steps like, okay. Um, and this is a kind of a life experience, life lesson for me is not to push sometimes too much or plan ahead too much because you don't know what's gonna happen. So I had people asking me about my cancer experience and how I was dealing with it, and I said, well, for example, I went to church and I went before mm -hmm. to get my children into, into a London school, mm -hmm. but then obviously this um, my experience just was double, double you know powerful by going to church. So my uh, church had to come and talk, you know, come and talk about your experience and how it's helped you. And then my local Pilates, um, come where I do Pilates instructors, so mm -hmm. come and talk to us. My local GP. I thought, okay, people want to hear the story, yeah. and then I started putting it into companies. So uh, I've spoken to over, I think it's about coming up to 600 people in over 20 companies mm -hmm. in London, Paris, and Amsterdam. Um, I do this with a very good friend called Lisa Carver, who um, she provides a science. She's an executive life coach. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting again. The, the route I took, because people want to listen by talking, listening to people, I don't think I'm very good at listening. Mm -hmm. 
it's quite ironic to say that on a podcast, and I hope that people are listening to this. Um, and um, so by listening to people and, ex- and appreciating the moment, it's amazing what comes out in their eyes. Mm. So I'm at least sort of at a social event, um, the Overseas uh, Press and Media Association event, and we decided to partner on our talks. Mm-hmm. So again, we've spoken to companies like the FT, CNBC, Seeds. You always do it together, those talks. We, yeah. No, we don't always do it together, um, but we, our preferred version is, because mm-hmm. you know, boy and girl working, she provides the science, I give the story, and um, a bit of a rest as well, yeah. when you're talking, that meeting or the talking now. Uh, uh, but I'd give my talks to as well, like for example, Viacom last week. Mm-hmm. So we're talking to established brands. Where is this going to go? I don't know. But we found there's a need for it and yeah. an interest in it. And we hope to, to continue to do more, to inspire people to look after themselves, to, um, and the different ways our talk as a catalyst for people to go, yeah. okay. I've heard already this week we get feedback forms and people saying they love to talk. And that would have been one of my questions is what has been sort of the, the average, I mean obviously if you're continuing to do it then the feedback has been great and there's a positive trend, mm. but have you had specific people reaching out from the talks you've done and say this really helped me, this really inspired me, and mm. how does that make you feel knowing that you're helping someone yeah. compared to maybe, not that you weren't helping before with marketing, but yeah. very often in my role for the last five years I've done media and the question is who am I helping actually with? media budget and media plan yeah. and media buying how does it feel to you knowing that you're actually making a difference now yeah. compared maybe to before and you're actually changing people's lives yeah. for good yeah it's interesting to know yourself at the end of the day mm-hmm. and key part of the talk is we don't appreciate we don't spend time with ourselves at the end of the day the person who's going to be affected and as you're responsible for your own actions is yourself. And it's quite hard to talk about that because it, it makes me sound schizophrenic. Which definitely in, in my growing up, you get laughed at. Schizophrenia, you know, you build up the word happiness. <laughs> get happy. Well, come on, let's move on. They're, they're words that describe in an adult way mm-hmm. how we should, how we can and change our lives. And, look after us. Now, um, how did I find out what was going on? I, I mean, I just listened to myself. I, I, I get a good kick again. I got this feedback form and people said I loved it. I want to hear it again. So it got, got me happy. Yeah. Um, I suppose also my, my character. I am a talker. I do like doing this in this podcast in some ways. But it's appreciating noticing that. Um, what, as I say, the people actually haven't individually come back. Mm-hmm. So that's an interesting trend. The challenge is that a lot of companies are doing all these amazing things, like well-being is a really you know, yeah. a buzzword at the moment. Companies are providing all these services like coaching, even meditation, flexible working, all these things, which is great, but, but they find employees still complain. Employees still go, oh, I don't like my job. And the challenge is to handhold these people and to say, right, come on, 
got all these things for you. Decide what makes good, what makes you happy, and they'll help you with your job. Yeah. And, but, so I suppose to answer your question about do people come back to me? No, they don't, and I think that's a challenge as well. Mm-hmm. People, it's it's whoever runs the session to keep it going. That's a challenge. Keep remind people what they've heard, because I talk for an hour, an hour and a half with Lisa, and then we leave. Yeah. The company is like you. We've had companies we've spoken to, and my nothing back, and I bet people have just moved on, as not forgotten it, gone on to other stuff. We do fun exercises, mm-hmm. which are relevant to do, but we know it has to fit into everyday work. Yeah, that makes sense. There was something you said before. Mm. Maybe it's a bit of a provocative question, but um, I know when uh, I would say when you mentioned that you started going to church more, and then mm. you were already going before, but you started to go to church more. Yeah. Um, is it something? Because I would I would imagine, and I saw maybe some other individuals having obviously being affected in the same way that mm. you have, and having been diagnosed only with uh, terminal illness or cancer, and they feel like oh. Maybe I believed in God before, but I believe even less now because if there is a God, why why does yeah. He makes make this happen? And I've, obviously, this is something that I've heard from some people, and I wonder how sort of how come that instead of taking that route, I'm like not saying that that is a right, mm-hmm. there's a wrong route, but instead of having that reaction, instead you feel even closer to the concept of God. And I grew up Catholic Christian in Rome. Mm. Um, like everyone does in Rome pretty much yeah. <laughs> it's hard to miss that um, the whole baptize um, first communion and confirmation but for me it was always a thing that oh on Sunday you just go to church I never myself really felt it I do occasionally go to church because I I like the concept of a holy place where to go and sort of gather your yeah. thoughts and almost a bit of a meditation meditational aspect around it but I was never like super religious and I'm trying to understand how sort of how was the, for instance, the conversation you had uh, with the person at the church, and what led you to say, oh, now I'm going even more after this. Hmm. Well, I look back at it, and I actually I remember the Wednesday before I was diagnosed, I actually went into my local church to mm-hmm. sort of worship, which was basically just singing. And there are two points there. One is that I was doing it. I think when I look back at it, I was. Sort of embracing the spiritual and obviously the faith that I had, using it, which was inspiring and it gave me strength when I was diagnosed. I definitely in the hospital, Winchester Hospital, I wasn't screaming, crying, I was pretty calm. Mm-hmm. So I think I was in some ways a bit of preparedness for that. Mm-hmm. Um, the, also, at the same time, it's, it's, it's something that I open my mind to, and it's amazing what comes out. So in the passage, so we're literally talking to other people and a local vicar. Um, actually, not the church I went to, another church, but sort of regular. My dad in the school I was, mm-hmm. my son went to, got in touch, and we got talking, and it sort of created this kind of bond we had. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is common sense, you know, looking after yourself, looking after people, and um, to have a someone like on you know, and, and his story and obviously how he helps definitely supports and makes you appreciate this so for example i and there's a lovely um hotel near the bbc building in Regent street mm-hmm. it's called saint george's 
the 15th floor, you can walk, you can go up and get a coffee there. People don't go because they think you can only be a guest. Mm -hmm. And I remember I was walking out and I saw a rainbow shining in the distance. And you know what well, that rainbow is, we tend to, from kids' age, we tend to really appreciate them. Mm -hmm. And I, then I got into the lift. And as I got on the lift, the doors were shutting, and I suddenly re re sort of was look looking at that rainbow in my mind. And I sort of had to, I double check, I was like, what? And I, I sort of stopped the lift doors, nearly, you know, nearly my fingers were jarred, opened them, and then sort of ran out to look at this view again. And the rainbow was shining down next to the UCLH hospital mm -hmm. where I was seeing my um, time radiotherapy. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I looked double hard, and it was shining down from where I see, I was seeing, I saw my oncologist every month. Really? And I think the reason I appreciated it was probably mainly because of the, my, my teachings and learnings and experience of Christian faith, yeah. of appreciating what does a rainbow mean, it's got talking, and where was it shining? So I took it, it was a very powerful moment. I wouldn't have done that probably a year and a half ago. Maybe I wouldn't have, but my point is that I sort of accepted and embraced the kind of faith. I have something called a circle of strength, mm -hmm. which I share in the talks I give, which talks about what makes you strong. So my, so my list is my oncologist, my faith, I take homeotherapy drops, mm -hmm. I take um, my nutrition, I change my diet completely. I wanted to ask about that too. Yeah, thank you. Oh, well. Psychotherapy, mm -hmm. everyone should talk. This is great. Even if for me talking that's cathartic, you're being really listening, which is lovely. Letting me talk, letting me hear myself talk, not just thinking, talking. Um, my passions, I've, I've sort of increased my, I've sort of given myself time. So, for example, the piano. I love the piano. I love it so much, I'm sort of got lessons back into it again. The feelings you get, but it's amazing, but it's pretty hard. <laughs> I'm gonna hopefully do a concert. My mom it. tried when I was a kid and it didn't stick. <laughs> <laughs> but don't, well again, this is like life, you can think about it. Uh, what else? Um, obviously talking and sharing with your friends, um, meditation, uh, and a few others. But those are my circle of strength. Mm -hmm. And it's everyone else's responsibility to do their own one. So what would everyone, people go, well, faith isn't strong for me. Okay, well, so be it. Whatever, I'm not going to try and change your mind. That's not my role. But, um, what makes you strong? What gives you strength when these things, these life traumas happen? What just generally keep you topped up? Don't, and, and then take away the stuff. You might do a lot already, great. Or you might not. They're always changing. Change is such a hard thing for us to do. So um, that's an answer of sort of where it fits in, yeah, sure. but it's, 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 it's core and it's amazing what conversations you have with people. I love the circle of strength uh, idea, as in it's probably something I should do too. I've recently started going to, so NAMS provides um, executive uh, professional coaches. Yeah. Um, I think they have three or four sessions that you can attend if you work in media. So I've been doing that. Uh, actually, I have this Thursday, the third okay. session. And I found it, I'm finding it extremely helpful because like you said before, that it took you a while to sort of understand slowly what you like and what you're good at. And I'm 32 and I still feel that 
it's kind of a bit up mm. in the air. As and I have my sort of personal passions, which most of the time relate to being in contact with people, getting to yeah. know new people. Yeah. I like to paint in my free time, edit really? podcasts. I used to write now a bit less. But all these things that then if you look potentially to job as and there isn't necessarily yeah. always a match. And so the conversation I have with Nabs is kind of like trying to find a bit of a circle of strength maybe in your work and what really makes you happy. And well, I think that's the key. Yeah. That's the key and to me. So many people don't really, myself, don't really think about it until they're actually presented with the thought of, do you, do you, are you liking this? Or mm. do you know what makes you happy? And people don't take the time. I think especially in a place like London where everything is very, very hectic, you know, get in the mm. tube, you get in the tube, you get to work, and then there's a phone, and then always on, always connected, and then you have a show on Netflix. It doesn't really give you the chance unless you really take it, like, proactively to really think about things and what's making me happy and in a happy place. So well, you, you need to ask yourself those questions, and yeah. you know, no one knows the answer. Um, but us as adults, we're the last thing that we look after, how you get myself. Self. When um, I give another story, I've got a five-year-old son, wicked, lovely boy, um, and this is a classic parenting, and I think people can remember it. When you are in a, before you get into a car, one of the first things you, one of the things you have to do is you have to go to the loo. You have to make sure that you don't need to go during the journey. And of course, every time you get into the car, you, you, know, you ask. Especially with a five-year-old, do you need a loo? And I go, go, no, we're not going to stop. And we had this basically, I had to put my foot down because it's like, I don't need to go. And I think he was desperate. He was saying, no. So I was like, okay. Ten minutes later, into the car, he's like, I need the loo. And I was being a very loving dad, and I said, no, we're not going to stop. I need to prove my point. Classic negotiation. And after sort of Two minutes, my son said, Look, I need to leave. Look, I need to go. Mm-hmm. And I said, No, I'm not going to stop. I want you to understand. And you're going to remember this, aren't you? Poor chap. And he was like, I need to go. And we all know this experience as adults, as people, as any animal, when you're desperate, you go and it completely cuts out anything you've got in your face. Mm-hmm. And your mind you just takes over. Just to go. So he was screaming, screaming, and I was screaming back. But I eventually got a bottle and I handed it to him and luckily he was able to go to the loo in the car. And the moral is that the children learn to look after themselves, don't they? Like, get to the loo before you get in the car. And because us as adults, we teach them that. We know we're so clever, we know everything. But we never look after ourselves. We wait until we have a burnout. We wait until we have a trauma. We wait until there's other events which force us to look out, to make changes. And the main thing is, again, we just sense check, look after ourselves. We are, we are a brand, brand safety, brand care, external as well as internal. And, but again, we always look after other people. And yeah. as you said, there's no time, there's no time after ourselves. Well, there you is. Need, you need to find, there, there always you is, need because to find uh, the time. I always remember that my dad used to tell me that uh, one of his. Like very old bosses um, 20, 20, 30 years ago um, would always say to people who go to him and say, oh, I didn't manage to get that yeah. done because I didn't have any time. He would say, you know, everyone has 24 hours. It's not like I have more than you. It's just how do you use that time and what do you make a priority? Yeah. Like, what are your priorities? And that stuck with me, although I might have 
heard this when I was 12 or 13, because it's like, it is an interesting thing. Everyone was like, oh, I didn't have time. You actually have the time. It's just that you decide to spend it on something else, be it yeah. a Netflix show, be it going out with friends, be it getting smashed to pop or whatever yeah. it is, rather than maybe taking that time to identify A, your circle of strength and looking at, am I happy? I'm in a good place. How am I feeling? Mm. So that is something I think, especially in a place like London, and it's really good that companies are putting so much emphasis on it because I think it helps people thinking about it. If companies weren't doing that, mm. I think that people would do that even less, yeah. I would imagine. Uh, I, I agree. And also, it's people, and this is relevant for what age, whoever's listening to this. When I look back at what I was doing when I was going out with my wife, or even single in London, I sort of think, what time? I had so much time. So much time. And now, and we know kids, obviously, you need to adjust this and prioritize in different ways. But if anything, my point about sort of looking after yourself is even more important when you are mid 20s, you know, yeah. 20s, early 30s, before perhaps when you have children. Because you prepare yourself for what's going to happen. And I mentioned my faith, I really do think my faith helped me. Mm-hmm. Um, what versus being for me, out of the loop. Uh, at a talk yesterday at CNBC, um, I got some lovely feedback and I got a really good line, which I'm going to quote, which is, a healthy team makes a wealthy team. That's true. And it really does make sense. And health, obviously, we tend to think of physical, but it's mental health, even as much, because your health works in different ways, in physical as well as mental. And obviously wealth is not just financial, it's, it's happiness. Yeah. And I think that's hopefully what people can give their time to do. I mentioned about being different between um, mental and the three, three areas we need to go after ourselves. Physical, mental, and emotional. We tend to look at the physical, especially with someone like me with a cancer mm-hmm. experience. It's like, well, look after yourself. Okay, fine, every month, but physically, I'm like, I'm okay. But the health and sorry, the, the mental and the spiritual and emotional side is always playing and it's running at a different pace, at a different angle, are completely different. And I suddenly have complete sort of catch-ups or flashes or whatever. So I need to look after that. And my point, I do a really fun exercise, and I'd like to do it on the podcast mm-hmm. if I could, to see and hopefully people try this right. I'll do it with you. I want you to close your eyes. Okay. Okay. Hands and hands on your knees. And I want you to imagine you are in, in your kitchen, wherever you live. Mm-hmm. And in front of you is a chopping board. And on the chopping board is a massive lemon. And next to the lemon, there's a knife. So pick up the knife and cut the lemon in half. Mm-hmm. And it's quite a big lemon, so it needs to be like sort of two or three big cuts. So it's cut, then take one of the halves and cut a nice chunky slice from it, please. Mm-hmm. Again, it's probably you know, two or three halves. Now take the slice, bend it over, and you see the, the, the juice falling out, and I want you to put it in your mouth. Means you close your mouth lips and then have a good chew. And obviously you're gonna be cutting the skin and the juice, all of that. Yum, yum, yum. Let's have a good cut. 
Now, open your eyes. Do you have saliva in your mouth? Yes. And but there's no lemon in your mouth. So what else do you have? You say saliva and as an it's just as an I feel the lemony yeah. taste. So again, the power we have is over our mental level, over ourself, physical self is stronger than we are aware of. We can make ourselves do stuff just thinking about it. And that's good because we can use it for the positive and that's why we need to be positive. But also at the same time, it shows the power of being negative. And our brain tends to be negative quite a lot. Fight or flight. I need to run away or do I need to stay and fight? We don't need to do that now, but that's what our brain was built on. So we need to just sometimes say to our brain, calm down. Yeah. I want to do, I want to hit that snooker shot. I want to talk to my friends. I want to focus on my work I'm doing. I want to play the piano, whatever it is. And that's but a power that I've, I've never really realized. Take that moment. Um, we have still, I'd say, ten, yeah. 10 minutes. Okay. I wanted to ask you, um, you were briefly mentioning how your diet, your diet changed completely. Um, what were you eating slash doing before and what are you eating slash doing now and how better does it make you feel compared to what you so, were eating before? Yeah, um, the reason I think for the nutrition change was two things. One was, it was main was I could do something as opposed to just sitting on a, on a sofa at home and thinking, yeah. what can I do? So it gave me power and that mental side, I think, definitely connected. Also, um, I mean, a bit of logic. So we are, I mean, to change your diet. Like my diet time was, you know, normal. Mm -hmm. so, you know, dairy, red meat, um, sandwiches, you know, take away a little sort of uh, added sugars, mm -hmm. you know, cakes, all that kind of stuff. Normal alcohol. Like not a lot. Not, not bad. But not bad. Say, yeah, but I thought it was okay. Yeah. I thought it was alright. You know, I wasn't excessed in anything. And then when I saw my nutrition, she's like, right, you need two. And this is sort of cancer-related, but also this is common sense. Yeah. She's like, she asked me, do you know we're the only animal that has other animals' milk? And I'm like, uh, oh yeah. There must be another one. Maybe there is in a jungle <laughs> in the Amazon or whatever, but generally you get the point. And it's not just milk, it's like we have other, we have complete, we have cheese, milk, cream, ice cream, just to name a few things. But it's, it's also the volume. Mm. So, she, so that was a kind of way that she's saying, whatever I suggest, just think about it as a life change. Don't think about it, you can do it for six weeks and walk away. So the first thing was cutting dairy, basically. So dairy, wheat, alcohol, red meat, processed, so like ham, sausages, it's like cooked, because it's been cooked three times, like, it's like chips. Um, Look to have more greens, have more f have raw fruit, um, so no like ketchup. Um, water obviously is very important, I'd filter. Um, and other things late related to it, which not going to nutrition but lifestyle, mm -hmm. where you never sleep with the phone by your head, turn off your Wi Fi in your home. And that definitely did help me, the way that my phone was away, it's never been in your hands, and I've got children, so obviously it's common sense as well, so try not to use your phone so mm -hmm. much. Um, I think, do you know what else? 
I mean, how did you feel in terms of benefits from, or A, when did you start feeling the benefits of, you know, feeling fresher and lighter without all the dairy and the red meat and all the processed food? Yeah. Like, how long did it take you to feel better and to feel the impact of not eating that kind of stuff? And yeah. what, what kind of impact was it? As in, did you, like I said, did you just feel, yeah. like, lighter and less tired? And I felt less tired. I mean, I think, because I couldn't compare with me then, because then I was on my chemotherapy mm. pills and other cancer pills. So I suppose I just was, it was less, you know, like the, like the classic chart. I was less up and down. Yeah. I was more consistent. I got tired and I got nauseous, which is normal for these pills. And I had these amazing other pills I could take. But I didn't take any of them. I took one anti-seizure, um, excuse me, not anti-seizure, uh, anti-sickness pill. Yeah. One a day. I could have taken up to six. Mm-hmm. One. And even then I, yeah, I, I had uncontrolled. So it must have helped me. Friends, family who were ill all around me, but I wasn't. Partly because I was actually staying away from public places. But generally, I, you know, I was also susceptible to being ill. So that nutrition helped me, gave me strength, and was and along with the other treatment, which I also said in my circle of strength. Mm-hmm. Is there anything you miss in terms of particular foods? Like for instance, I'm quite a big, yes. I used to be quite a big milk drinker, now I still drink it, but less than I used to do. Good um, question. Is there something there, because a lot, of, a lot of people change diets and start to be like on non-processed, and they're like, yeah. in the beginning it's hard, but no, I, I don't miss it at all. And I, I'd never done that switch, and I find it hard to believe that there isn't that one or two things. And yeah. you know, oh, I, 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 well, no. yeah, again, the two ways, two answers. Not different, but the same. I think my new, my oncologist, when they told me to change, you know, mm-hmm. take it easy, he said balance. And balance means physically, okay, you might come down a bit, but mentally and happiness, you'll be happy by having a treat. Yeah, so, for example, I have something in Brazilian, a panda casual. Have you ever had a panda casual? No. Brazil's lost, not lost secrets, but it's a hidden secret, I think. Mm-hmm. They're quite big balls made of cheese, Brazilian cheese. And I had it when I went on my honeymoon there, and they're amazing. So, is it healthy for me? No. Doesn't make me happy? Yes. So, So I sort of counterbalance, and I have this discussion, coffees, I remember these lovely discussions with myself, Mm -hmm. winding myself up for how many coffees am I allowed a day, and, you know, one's enough, but I'm like, I can't have another one. It's amazing, and it's a dilemma. I've got to flip it and say a bit of fun with myself. It's not just I shouldn't create stress from it. Yeah, it's a bit of a game almost. Yeah. It's a game, and this is your mind playing, you know, playing games. Like, come on, have one, have one, have one. No, you know, it's like angel on one shoulder, devil on the other shoulder. Uh, so it wasn't bad as such, but obviously I give myself treats and I've got to take responsibility if I feel ill, buy too many coffees, and I'm like talking to saying, well, well, you know why? Um, but also their treats as well. So, did I find it hard? No. Yeah. Luckily, luckily, and that's true. That's a menu for my wife. Yeah. She one. She did it with me, and she actually also. Is your wife on the same diet? At the on the same diet. No, yeah. like your kids. And she drives us. Kids. Still that pizzas, burgers. You know, yeah. I don't do pizzas. Occasionally, of course I do. And when I turned forty. I would like to have a red 
probably fit in. Rare. Or yeah, rare. rare. <laughs> but I can have, I, I can drink wine, so I can have these. Yeah. I'm very lucky. I don't have it where, you, you know, I'm told you. I think it's a different case if you're told you shouldn't. You, you can't, because yeah. you get allergic. One of the strongest words I've heard is should. Someone told me, just don't worry about what it means, but, and I don't, but the word should is not, your heart's not in it. Someone says, I should do this. Do I want to do it? No. If anything, I might go the other way. Just do it because you want to do it. Should is such. Never use the word. If you can help it, just don't use it. Yeah. Say, would you like to do this? One of the words you shouldn't use is should. And one of the words that I think is very strong is, well, three, it's okay. Just to calm yourself, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay to have a pad. If you want a chocolate, if you want a coffee, go for a pad. It's okay to not go do some exercise today. It's okay. And hopefully, trust yourself, you rationalize with it. I find it really useful. I mean, I've started to go back to the gym and I've started yeah. intermittent fasting in uh, March. And initially, I always had this thought, you know, you read everywhere that you need to have a specific goal, you know, a specific weight yeah. loss, a specific yeah. body fat, whatever. And then I read um, something that Jerry Seinfeld said yeah. um, when he was writing a lot of comedy and a lot of jokes. And he said, some days I would write really bad jokes, some days I would write really good jokes. But the idea was to create a process every day. You create a routine of creating jokes every day and then you focus on the process itself and not on every day which means that one day you're going to write shitty jokes, it's fine. As long as you sort of bring yourself to try and do it, and that's, for me, as in yeah. what, what really made sense in that in terms of gym and nutrition. And again, I definitely don't have the this healthy diet, as in my would say it's more mm. normal average. But I try to think, you know what, it's a process. It's not, there's never really an, an arriving point of, oh, I'm here and I'm done. It's so, you know, if I want to have, there's an amazing donut place here, which is a mm-hmm. pro- Crosstown Donut, I think it's called. Okay. I mean, one donut's like four pounds, but it's the best donuts I've ever had. Like, it's really good. <laughs> well, coffee's, yeah. coffee's not that much, but yeah. Well, and it's like, you know what, Jeez. I feel like a donut today and I'm going to have it and I'm not going to feel bad about it. And then if that means maybe tomorrow I'll go to the gym, I'll enjoy my training even more because, you know, I like the donut, that's fine. But I sort of try to keep that a bit probably a bit like like a game but like being it's okay if I want to have a donut if I want to have a Franco Manca and obviously there's a balance like it's, it shouldn't be like like you said oh it's okay to have 20 coffees a day because that's yeah. not okay but yeah. finding that fine line and that balance over time rather than giving your best for one week and then yeah. crashing on the couch and eating yeah. dominoes yeah. over the weekend and yeah. yeah I mean it's sort of knowing yourself I, mean, I do like a gem I, I do need a push Little push. That makes sense. Yeah, I think similar. When you do that, makes sense. Yeah, all those things. We're unfortunately we're out of time. That's fine. Love, I mean, we can also continue this conversation out of time anyway. Um, <laughs> um, it's quite early in the morning, so I need to go step in the other room and <laughs> start doing some stuff. Um, but thanks That's so fine. much, Perry, for coming no. on. I really appreciate well, it. Um, it was great to do I this. hope, I mean, I love listening to you and I hope it was also sort of a, a positive experience for you. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we'll, uh, we'll take it from here. Great. Thanks so okay. much for joining. <laughs> Thanks again. <Sure. laughs>